Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Next few minutes I want to share with you what's always about love. Found in the book of Revelation, chapter number 2, beginning our reading at verse number 1. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Holy Spirit, you're the real guide. You're the real teacher here today. Holy Spirit, I just release you to do what you do so well, and that is to just reveal Jesus to us, and reveal truth and life, and help us to get it through the the filter of our mind, down into the depths of our heart, so that we can be changed. Forgive us, God, for at times thinking we don't need to be changed. We we do need to be changed. The Holy Spirit change us today. Amen. If you know the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, you know that John is writing for the Isle of Patmos, and he's been instructed to write a letter to the angel of different churches. And there's arguments to the theologians whether that angel was a spiritual being or it was a pastor. I, I happen to think it happened to be the pastor because John wouldn't be writing a letter to an angel. That's just my opinion. I don't get that. And he, he directed a letter to be written to each church that is named, and there's seven churches here. And, and each of the churches is getting a, a, a personal word of prophecy, if you will, from God. And, and he generally says, here's what I like about you, and here's what I have an issue with. And, and six of the seven get that kind of a letter, and the seventh, they don't get the first part of the letter because there's nothing he likes about them. And we, we if you know your Bible, you know that that... Those were real churches in those days. There was a church at Ephesus. And, and in general, this was the, what they were like. And when he wrote to the other churches, each of them got a different letter that was personalized to them. And, and they were getting to know what they looked like through God's eyes. So we, we understand that that's the original ten of those letters. But those letters also represented ages or seasons that the church in the world would go through. And you can... You can go back through time and see the pattern of uh, how we've progressed through each of these generations and each of these church types. 
Those, these seven churches also represent churches of today. You can go around, and if you attend a church long enough, you can, you can kind of find where they plug into where one of those. It, if you know your Bible and you know these seven churches, it doesn't take you very long to figure out that this is a church like the church at... And, and it just it's a type of church. And it's also a type of Christian. If you go back and you read the seven churches and the good points and the struggles they have, you can probably find one of those letters that's like looking in a mirror. That, boy, that's kind of like me. That's, that's, that's kind of what I'm like spiritually. And I think that the Lord wants to speak to us this morning about a reality that many of us struggle with. We oftentimes, the people in, in when they become sick in their body, they, they, um, they'll go to the doctor and they say, here's, here's my symptoms and what, what, do I, what do I do and how do I remedy this? And the doctor will give them a prescription and it's kind of funny because you can never read it. You wonder how the people at the pharmacy can read it because it looked like somebody dipped a chicken's feet in ink and then let it run across the paper. And yet somehow they make sense out of that. And, and you don't know what's in, in medicine and you don't know, can't even say the words, but somebody who you trust says, take this, this many times a day like this and you'll get better and just blindly we have faith and we do that. Well, Jesus is kind of here through the the, the man John, he's because this is the re, this book is the revelation of Jesus. He's telling the church that he died for. Listen, here's here's how I see you. I know all your works, and I know how you have patience, and I know how you've stood your ground, and I know how you've seen through the the the, the facade of people who called themselves apostles, and they were nothing like apostles, and. And, and I, you, you've stood for the faith and you had strength and you haven't fainted. He said, I get all that. I, I see that. I, I commend you on all that. But, but there's something bothering me yet. He said, here's what's bothering me and, and all of your doing. And you've done a lot. And, and I know that what you did, you, you did for me. And, and I know your labors for me. And I know your patience and your steadfastness. And I know how hard you work, but there's... Something's still bothering me. You forgot what this was all about. This was never about doing. He said, you forgot that this was all about love. You've lost that. You lost that when we first got started, you and I, this was about a love relationship. And now it's become all about what you do. He said, I got an issue with that because I don't need that. You see, this is a God who spoke to the elements of the universe and galaxies came into being. He's not looking to get anything done. Listen, be careful of the person who thinks God needs them to get something done. 
Think about that a moment. God said sun, and there was a sun. Universe, and there's a universe. And he needs you to do what? He took this planet and spun it like a top and said, spin. And don't you dare stop spinning until I tell you. And it's been spinning for eons now. And he needs you to do what? Are you with me? You see, for him it was all about more than just getting something done. It was about a relationship. And we get this wrong. You know how just just today we, we set our clocks forward? I hate this day. Now, if, if, if I would have been able to choose what to do with that hour, I'd be okay with wasting an hour. How many of you all have just wasted an hour before? I just don't like being told it's going to be taken from me and I don't have any voice in it. Okay, that's what bothers me. Yeah, we can stay up late three hours and there's nothing wrong with that, but somebody comes and takes an hour from us. So last night we had to reset our clocks. I'm going to ask you to challenge the Holy Spirit to reset your clock about the prescription here. I was, I was in a hospital room one time visiting a young lady who was a brittle diabetic, and, and she had so long struggled with health issues that, that she, she knew exactly what should happen. And when she encountered certain circumstances, she knew the treatment, she knew the medicine she should take, and and there was one hospital that her insurance plan kept sending her to, and, and they, were, they were horrible. I mean, they were just, I'd visited there so many times, and they were horrible. I really wanted to carry a, a card around that said that if I get hit in the parking lot of this hospital, please don't take me into the emergency room, because my chances of surviving will be less inside the doors than they would be in the parking lot. They were that bad, and... And, and so Anne was in the hospital, and she, again, had had an issue with her diabetes, and, and she had gone unconscious, and now she was conscious, and they were treating her. And the nurse came in and, and you know, had three or four little containers of medicine, and, and Anne looked at that, and she said, um, I don't think that's right. And the nurse was like, I'm a nurse. Just take your medicine. And she said, no, no, you know what, that... I, I want to talk to some, that's not what I'm supposed to be getting. That, that one pill right there is wrong. And I need, I need to talk to my doctor before I take that. And, and the nurse was just put off. She said, listen, I, I know my job, and that's what you're supposed to have. And, and Ann says, I don't know if you know your job or not, but this much I know, it's my body. And I know that pill's wrong, and I want to talk to my doctor. And, and literally while she's having the conversation, the doctor came in, and she said, Doc, is that, is that the right pill? The doctor pulled her chart and looked a minute, looked at the pill, and he said, well, land's sake, no, you can't take that. You see, Anne knew that there was, that something was wrong with the prescription. And I, I think that, that this morning when we talk about our first love, because that was the prescription for the church at Ephesus, that they needed to get back to their first love, I think that when we read that, we've gotten it wrong too many times. Because he, his problem here with his church was 
wasn't that they weren't working hard enough. It's that their motive was all wrong. And if you're not careful, they'll respond by trying to work harder. Okay, I get back to my first love. I, I, I got to start praying more. I got to fast. I got to, I got to read my Bible more. And whenever you hear messages about first love, you, you, that's what you do. You think, okay, that's, that's what's wrong. I've got to, I've got to get back to praying. And listen, you ought to pray. I ought to get back into my Bible. You, you ought to be in your Bible. I, I got to get back to fasting. You ought to be fasting. But, but that's not what the Spirit of God is saying here. Jesus has already told them, hey, you're running well and you're working hard. But you left me behind. And your motive is all wrong. See, I want to tell you something. If, if you work or I work to show God how much we love him, it's just all works. And it's for, by grace that we are saved, not of works. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags before God. And so oftentimes when we read this, it's like, okay, you're right, you're right. I've allowed other things to invade my time for God. I've allowed all this. I've got to run harder and harder. And the reason why we're not running harder and harder is because when you ran harder and harder, it wasn't fulfilling. Because something inside you said, this just doesn't work. It doesn't seem like it matters how hard I run. It's never hard enough. How many know what I'm talking about? If you pray, it's always never enough. You pray 10 minutes a day and the enemy says, that's not enough. So maybe you make 15 minutes or 20 minutes a day, and that's not enough. You read your Bible a half an hour a day, that's not enough. How many know what I'm talking about? You're all looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Put your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just never enough. It's just, and it's, it's always, the, the bar just keeps, and the problem is we're chasing something we will never catch because it's never been about how much you love God. It's all about how much do you know he loves you. I'll give you scripture for that. 1 John 4.10. I'm sorry, 1 John 4.19. We love him because. Everybody say because. Because he first loved us. It starts with his love. Our love that is not in response to our recognition of how much he loves us is just works. Holy Spirit, you've got to reveal this to us. This is a mystery. You see, it isn't about how much does CJ do for God. It isn't about how hard does he pray, how much does he pray, how hard does he read his Bible, how many scriptures did he put on Facebook, how hard does he do this, how hard does he do that, because that's all works. And you see, with works, then, then there's an obligation. When you go to the restaurant today, there's going to be people working in the kitchen. And there's going to be a waitress working to give you your food. But when the works are done, you now owe something. And, and, and if it's works, then we get this attitude in our head that somehow God owes us something. 
Are you with me? And it, it becomes slavery. It's look at all I've done for you, God, and you can't answer my prayer. Look what I've done for you, God. And you can almost hear that echo down from the ages past when there was a worship leader who said to God, can I get more? Look what all I've done for you, God. Why can't I be exalted like you? You see, here's what, it's the heart of the matter. If we're not careful, that's like a husband saying to his wife, don't I provide you a nice home? Haven't I put a nice car in the driveway? So now you're obligated to meet certain needs in my life. No, 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 that's not how it works. Not in any way, shape, or form. Our love for God can only be in direct response to our recognition of how much he loves us. Next verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or payment for our sins. Here's love. Not that you love God, but that you know that he loves you. There's a difference between us loving God because I'm just a wonderful person. Look how good I am, God. I love you. I'm, man, I've prayed today. I've worshiped today. I've read my Bible today. I wanted to hit them today, and I didn't hit them, God. What a wonderful person I am. I really wanted to yell, but I smiled instead. I hope you're going to pay me for all this. There's a difference between that person and the person who says, God, I need to know how much you love me. And they allow God to show them. And in response to that, they love him back. And the church of Ephesus knew all about the first type. Work, do, work, do. And everything they did was right, but their motive was all wrong. He said, you lost your first love. This isn't about you showing me how much you love me. It's all about me showing you how much I love you, and you responding to that. The first is religion. The second is relationship. The first puts man in charge. The second puts God in charge. The first makes God the initiator and the man the responder. The second makes God the, the man the initiator and God the responder. And God's the initiator. He's the alpha and the omega and everything in between. You know, somebody here would say, well, that's easy to do. That's just, that's just you know, Brother Rice, that's just wishy-washy, watered-down gospel. We want, we, want, we want hard stuff. We want a easy, hardest thing you will ever do is find out how much God loves you. You and I were born into a, 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 a 
culture of sin. Our parents didn't always affirm us. They didn't always protect us. They didn't always do right by us. How many know what I'm talking about? You grew up with with people around you that didn't always tell you how great you were, didn't always love you like you needed to be loved, didn't always overlook your faults and your failures, didn't always say good things to you. We grew up in a world that just wants to trash human life, make you think you're not valuable unless you look like this or act like this. Some of us get up every morning, we look in the mirror, and we don't look like the guy on the front of the magazine or the lady in the front of the magazine, and so now we're something less. We're not like the superstar in the movie that always gets it right, and somehow when it's done, it's always a nice, neat little package. And it just kind of speaks to us that we're less and, and that we're just not right. Tell me no what I'm talking about. We live in a culture that just tells you you're not right. We're not normal. I don't know what normal is. I look in this room, no offense, ain't none of us normal. Turn to the person next to you and say, you ain't normal. You're not normal. Now turn to them and say, I'm glad you're not normal. In Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there was those toys that were normal. But then there was the land of the misfit toys. Those are the Christians. (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? Yes. (laughs) They just don't work right. Okay? Or, Or more modern time. Remember Toy Story? Remember Sid? And the toys in his room... Don't look at me like that. You've watched a show. One of the best movies of all time. Remember the toys in Sid's room? Okay, there were pieces put on here and there. He didn't even have a license to do surgery. And yet he did those things to those... You've got to go home and watch the movie. This will make more sense, okay? Go home and watch the movie and then listen to my message and it will come together for you. But there were freaky, freaky, freaky toys in Sid's room. And they were toys, and they looked like that, and they acted like that because nobody loved them. They had been lost, stolen, or abandoned. And now Sid was free to just manipulate them and shape them and to make freaks out of them. And I'm speaking to Sid's toys to say the way out of Sid's bedroom is to know how much God loves you, not about how lovable you are. Because the the second, knowing how lovable you are, makes a God out of you. But when you know how much God loves you, it makes a God out of Him. Amen. Easy? It's the hardest thing we do. When you know how far and far short you have fallen from the glory of God, And in the midst of who you are, and in the midst of what has been done to you, there's a voice that says, I love you. That is nearly impossible to believe. Our our flesh rebels against that, and, and it says, God, you don't remember what I've done. You don't remember what happened to me. You don't remember how dirty I am. You don't remember how awful I am. 
And like the woman at the well, he says, I know. You've had six husbands. I understand. I know you don't get this worship thing. I know you don't understand where, and it's not about that. And this was released in her heart. And the Bible says, and she worshipped him. She was still the woman who had six husbands, and the the one she's living with now didn't even give her his name. She's just a piece of meat to him. He doesn't care. None of that was changed. What changed was she found out it wasn't about what she did for God. God, am I okay? Am I, I, I worship at this mountain, and I don't know which mountain I should go to to pray. He says, it's not about the mountain. It's about worship. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God is looking for people like that. Looking for people. Why? Because he's an ego-hungry God? No. Because the only way you can worship God is when you know how much he loves you. Everything else is just a show. Everything else is just a put-on. Everything else is just religion. But when you know he loves you, and you know you're garbage, and you lift your hand and you say, Hey, God, garbage singing here. And you, get, and you know that that's okay with him. Because it really is all about his love for you and not your love for him. Something releases inside of you. Like the young lady said in the video, you just keep going to the altar and and you just throw yourself down and you say, God, I'm so awful. And he says, no, no, no. You're so wonderful. God, I'm nasty. No, you're not. I'm changing you. Day by day, I'm changing you. Day by day, you is dying out. And the part of you that's dying out is being replaced with a little part of me. Just give it some time. I, I was with somebody this week who... Life in the last couple of years, it just turned 360 degrees. And, and they made this profound statement that just rolled over in my spirit all day. I know it's simple, but I know where they were two or three years ago. And I see where they are now. And, and they said this. They said, you know, God just has a way of fixing things. And that's so beautiful. Several times that day I had to stop what I was doing and just thank God because he does. He just has a way of fixing things. It's just, what a neat way to put that. He just has a way of taking garbage and making something out of it. And so it isn't, it isn't, it has never been simply about how much effort are you putting to love God because that's works that we can boast about and that does not add to grace whatsoever. It is all about how much do you know he loves you Because when you know that, you respond to that. Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Salvation. Same root root word as salvage yard. I I didn't know these guys took things personally. I, I was looking for a part for my car a number of years ago, and and, you know, when I grew up, it was a junkyard. And um, I, I, I was looking through the phone book and trying to find uh, a place that would maybe have a part for my car. And I called up and I said, is this a junkyard? He said, this is the re- vehicle reclamation center. 
All right, whatever. You got a steering pump for 95 Dodge. That's all I care. Call it junk. Call it rec- vehicle reclamation center. I don't care. Dig them apart. A salvage yard is, is where the cars go when they're junk. They're just, you know, they're, they're good for just stripping pieces off. And, and that's the same root word as salvation. Salvage, salvation. Salvation is not God finds somebody and says, wow, this is good. I really like this guy. He's going to make something good out of this guy. God's going into the junkyard and kicking tires. And he's salvaging our lives. And it's only those people who recognize it as that. Go to salvage yard, you never go to the, if they've got vehicles that match yours and parts, never get one near the front because they always think those are more valuable. Just keep walking. James, you know what I'm talking about. You keep walking to the back of the salvage yard where they even forgot that thing was back there. Part cost half cost. I think that's what God does. I think he walks to the back of the salvage yard where this person's forgotten and the weeds are growing up and and nobody has any hope. This guy's even taken that thing out of his inventory, but yet there it is. And he salvages life out of it. It's not about how much do you love God. That's not your first love. The first love is when you got down at an altar somewhere and you found out that God loved you. As nasty and miserable as you were. And folks, it never gets any better than that. And you may be more cleaned up now. You may be better living. You may be acting better. You may not be hitting as many people. But he still wants you to have that attitude. I'm nothing without God. And here's why this is so dramatically important. I'm concerned in the church world today. We're becoming known for what we're against of who we love. We get into stupid arguments on Facebook about this or that. And there's, there's one thing you can't argue against, and that's love. Because love doesn't need anything from your side. If I love CJ, I don't need CJ to be a decent guy to love him. It's all about me. He can be imperfect. He can be nasty. He doesn't even have to love me back my love to begin to affect his life. I just have to be loving enough to overcome all of that. Are you getting this? And then when I love him, and he says, well, God, I hate you. Okay, just need me. I don't like you, God. Get out of my life. I'm not going nowhere, man. I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to make you miserable until you love me. I'm just going to love you and love you and love you and love you. I don't need your permission. I don't need your help. I don't need you to be good. I don't need you to be engaged. I don't need I don't need anything. I don't need I'm I'm self-contained. You read number of times in scripture where God breathes out. You never read in scripture where God breathes in. It's because he doesn't need to add anything. He's perfect by himself. God never inhales. For God to inhale means he's lacking something and he needs it. He never inhales in scripture always exhales in Scripture. 
because he's complete unto himself. He doesn't need your help to love you. He doesn't. He just needs you to quit running because he's got so much more for you. How much more? He said, I know the thoughts I have towards you. Thoughts of a future and hope. How much do I want to do in you? Exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. If you just let me work in you, if it's according to the power that works in you, if John will let God love him, because God loved John more the same as he loves Pam. But if John allows God to show him how much he's loved and Pam doesn't, John get more blessings in his life than Pam will. God is no respecter of persons. That's right, he isn't. He is no respecter of persons. He won't do for John what he wouldn't be willing to do for Pam. But God does have favorites. He had the 70. He had the 12. The 12 had experiences that the 70 didn't. Of the 12, he had the three. Those three had experiences the other nine didn't have. And then he had this one guy who understood. You find in Scripture him laying his head on the breast of Jesus, and Jesus has no problem with John saying, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Why? It's not that Jesus loved him more. It's that John knew it more. Peter, before Acts chapter 2, would be the disciple who said he loved Jesus more than all the others. And he's denying and sinking. And then we got this other guy who knows what it's really all about. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And so when they're all done, he's on a tropical island writing letters to the churches. <laughs> he's getting a revelation of Jesus that none of the others have. We're becoming known for what we're against. Well, we're against this, and we're against that, and God hates this and God hates that when we ought to be known for who we love. Jesus did not come into the world to prove mankind wrong. He came to love them. While we are trying to win the battle with this group or that group, we're losing the war of love. 1 John 4, 16 says this. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. We have known and believed. Known. That's an intimate word. That's a, a thing that can, cannot come out of a, anything other than your intimate relationship with God. That's, a, that's something that 
Bible says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and out of that conception came life. It's the same root word. And we, 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 we know him. And we know, we're, we, we personally, personally know the love he has for us. It's not just, I, I believe God loves us because Pastor Rice said so. That's not knowing. not knowing at all. Knowing is when you, you know, you've taken it inside of you. In the knowing, there's, there's a, an exchange of part of what the, the man is is placed inside of the woman and, and, and the two mix and out of that a life comes. And, and that's what God wants. He take, wants to take the seed of his word and, and the truth that he loves you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. He loves you. And so the, when you know that, when you're intimate with that, when, you, when that becomes a, literally a part of your spiritual DNA, when you know that, it, it begins to change you. It's, it's like a woman who's pregnant. It just, it just grows, and the, the body begins to change, and, and her, the chemistry inside of her body changes. Well, spiritually, that's what happens to a human being when they... When they become intimate with God, things begin to change. And, and it isn't so much that he changes all this other stuff because sometimes all the junk is still there, but what he does is he changes us. Amen? And now you know. And so when you get up in those mornings and it just feels like life isn't worth living anymore, there's something inside of you that just reminds you how much God loves you. You know that. You just, you just know that. You believe that. And the knowing and the believing changes stuff. Can you stand your feet? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.